your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to be in there just for a few moments to kind of direct our attention to Mother's and Mother's Day. And so there is a difference between Mother's Day and Father's Day. In church world, we joke that on Mother's Day, we talk about how incredible the moms are. And on Father's Day, we talk about how terrible the dads are. And I don't, I don't want to do that, but there is a difference between moms and dads, right? Girls grow up playing house and playing with dolls. Their, their, in, their intuition, their innate nature is to be a mother. It's a desire of theirs. Guys grow, grow up playing army and soldiers. Like, we don't know how to be a mother, and so we have to learn the hard way, which is through many mistakes and issues. And this day and age of you know, what is a man, what is a female, you know, transgender and all this stuff and all this confusion that's going on, which is wild. I was going to preach on that this morning. I'm going to preach on that in the fall, and we kind of break down a theology of sexuality. But there is a difference between guys and girls. And it amazes me that any male would want to be a female. (laughs) Just biologically, you think of the, the pain tolerance that a woman has. We don't have that in the male chromosomes. Women can endure anything. Men can't even endure a cold. If you get to sneezes, you're out three to four days. And so when you think about labor, could you imagine a man in labor? For not two hours, not three hours, maybe 24 hours. Could you imagine a man trying to maintain that? So I thought I'd give a, a great example of that. I need two volunteers. Bumper and Courtney, you are one. And let's see. James and Joy Howard, number two. Praise God. If y'all just come up here real quick. I'm going to give you the best Mother's Day gift you've ever had. Toy, we bring those up here. So to help you see the difference, we're going to let these men experience a little labor pain. So if you had put those on, you can face this direction. So women get the, you get the controls. So if you would turn around, you can put these, you can come over here and just put these on his belly. Let's put them on that side. Like on this right here? One in there. Yeah, but you ain't had it like this, James. And those two on that side. No. Don't, don't let me see your belly, though. That's not a Mother's Day gift. That's, that's purgatory. So once James gets ready. Don't take any more clothes off, James, though. That's a little much. So once I get on, you'll, the switch is here. I'll let, I can do it. So you'll just turn, and we'll start with one. Okay. Just turn that on, and you'll hit the need. We'll give them a massage. You'll hit the need setting, and then I'll tell you when to crank up. So it goes from zero to ten. Yeah, turn around and face the crowd. You can turn it on. Bumper, turn around and face this section. <laughs> So we'll start with, yes, turn it to one and hit need. You can sit down if you want to, if you're going to die. All right, is it on? Can you feel it, Bumper? Yeah, push need. (laughs) 
You feel it? <laughs> All right. Six. Whoa, you skipped from like nine months of pregnancy straight to delivery. So hours one and two is two to three. So put it on three or four. That's the third hour of pregnancy or delivery. You feel it? All right, now crank that thing up to about seven. Now crank it up to eight. <laughs> Can you feel it, James? Now crank that thing all the way up. Oh, you got to do both sides. That side too. Yep. Is that all you got? Let me see this thing. Oh, you like. You don't feel that? <laughs> you felt that? What about that? Feel it? Yeah. This isn't strong enough. All right, y'all go home. God. <laughs> oh, you felt that. <laughs> well, that was a terrible illustration. <laughs> Jesus. I guess the guys win. I guess I guess labor's not that hard. Y'all just. Just a little too dramatic. I mean, if James Howard can do it, anybody can do it. You know, labor is one of the most difficult things in the world for a woman to do. I guess it's not the most difficult thing for a man to do. But, you know, there are things that are more difficult. You know, labor is just a moment in time. But then you have at least 18 years of trying to protect this gift that God has given you to steward this gift, to dis train this gift, to raise this gift, to disciple this gift. And then I believe that's when it gets the most difficult. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, you'll, we'll start at verse 5. We're just going to read through um, to verse 28. It says, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year, and as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart so sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant... And remember me and not forget your servant, but you will give your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was speaking in her heart, but only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. 
But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have not drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you may have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the Lord their yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed him until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. She said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Like This is the, the birthing of Samuel. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Samuel is the, the priest, the prophet that God uses to kind of establish his kingdom, going from judges to kings. He's the one that goes to Saul, King Saul, and anoints him with oil. He's also the one that goes to King Saul later on and tells him that God has pulled his anointing from him. He's the one that finds David. When he goes to all the sons of Benjamin, there's one left. He said, where's he at? He says, he's, on the, he's back there with his sheep, and he brings it back. He anoints David as king. And so Samuel has this incredible purpose on his life, but it started out of this moment of desperation. Here's Hannah. She, she has this desire for a child. She has this desire for a baby, yet she's provoked to jealousy because her other friend there is, is causing her all this grief and jealousy, and her response is not to respond with anger. Her response is to respond in prayer. And I will tell you, anytime you find yourself in a situation where your emotions are going haywire, prayer is always the best response. And she begins to pray. Little did she know that when she began to pray, there is no power greater on earth than the power of a praying mama. Like of all the power on earth, a praying mama has some connection to heaven that I have no idea. And the only thing I can think of is when I was growing up, my, my grandparents were not Christians at all, but my grandmother stayed on the phone 24-7. If you called her, how many of you are old enough to remember before call waiting and the dial tone you got when it was somebody else in the line, the line was busy. My grandmother would stay on the phone all day Long and you hope for just a slither of a moment to get in on the phone line. I think with women, there's this connection that once they connect, they stay on the line for a long time. And I think for a praying mama, once they connect to heaven, they begin to talk and they 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 talk. And God, in His divine mercy, or just tired of listening to them talk, decides to answer their prayer. 
And so for Hannah, he, he answers her prayer because Hannah thought it was about her desire. Hannah thought it was about her desire to have a child. Hannah thought it was about her desire to, to show her husband she was valuable. Hannah thought it was about her prayer of having a baby to show this other woman that she's just as much of a woman as she was. She thought it was about her prayer. Little did she know that God wanted Samuel born more than Hannah did. God wanted Samuel on earth. He was looking for a man he could use, and he found a situation where a woman's heart was so after God, that was so desperate for God's will, that was so desperate for God's presence, that was so desperate that once he found somebody so desperate, he knew he could trust her with a heavenly promise. See, when you understand that God's desires are always greater than your desires, it builds your prayer life up. Like when you realize that your father in heaven, his desire for your son or your daughter to be saved or set free from addiction or drugs or to come back home from the world, like his desire is so much more than your desire. His hunger for your sons and daughters to serve the Lord are so much stronger than your desires. And prayer is when your desires and his desires come together and his will comes to pass. And he gives her this child. And she thought the work was done. Now she has to raise this child. But you can't just raise this child. This child has a purpose. This child has destiny attached to him. It's not just a a gift that she got that she gets to enjoy. This child has a purpose that now she has to protect this purpose. She has to train this purpose and raise this purpose and take care of this purpose so that its purpose can be taken and received by the entire world. Do you realize your kids aren't just for your enjoyment, they're for the world's blessing. That God blesses the world through human vessels. And as parents, we have to raise our kids, which is sometimes the hardest part, but mothers prepare their children for the path that God has for them. They don't prepare the path for their children. They prepare their children for whatever path God may have for you. And so she spends this, this time raising Samuel not to be her child, get this, not to be her son, not to be her greatest blessing, not to be her fulfilled promise. She spends her entire young years of Samuel's life not trying to raise her son, but trying to raise God's son. Like she knew that God gave her the son, but he's also his son. And so now she has to raise him. And good parenting will give you a headache. Like it will give you a headache. The sleepless nights, the stupid conversations that teenagers have where they think they know more than you know. Teaching the kids how to drive and they think they know because they played a video game before and telling you you're dumb and telling you this. And, you know, you don't understand, mom. You don't understand that. You don't, like it's, it'll give you a headache. Good parenting will give you a headache because it's hard work. But if good parenting will give you a headache, bad parenting will give you a heartache. It'll give you a heartache because you'll watch your kids fall away with no discipline, no training, no development, and they'll flutter away. And your heart will be broken for years. I heard one person say, if you raise your kids, you get to spoil your grandkids. But if you spoil your kids, you have to raise your grandkids. 
And Samuel takes on this endeavor of, I have to take this seriously. This gift is from God. This baby is from God. He has a, a plan, a purpose, a destiny on his life. I need to do everything within my, my possibilities to develop this child for the path that God has for him. Yours may not be a, a prophet or a priest, but maybe a doctor, maybe a lawyer, maybe a judge, maybe a teacher, maybe a coach, maybe a construction worker, maybe a police officer, maybe a fireman. Your kid has a purpose on their life. And it is your job to prepare them for the path to fulfill that purpose. That's parenting. And it is hard, hard work. And moms and dads are different when it comes to parenting. You know, here's a couple things. Moms sacrifice what they need in order to give their kids what they need. Moms are sacrificial. They sacrifice their own bodies. They sacrifice their greatest years. They sacrifice emotional well-being. They sacrifice sleep. They sacrifice all these things so their kids can have what their kids need. They're sacrificial in every way. I heard one mom say that her, her kid was starting to argue that her mom went into her room. She said, Mom, you're invading my private space. First of all, if you ain't paying the bills, you don't have any private space, first of all. She told her mom, hey, you know, you're invading my private space. And the mom says, well, you came out of my private space. <laughs> right? Sacrificial. Like, I could never say that. Could you imagine RJ saying, dad, you're invading my private place. Sir, son, you, it, you came from my private space. He'd be like, what kind of weirdo are you? Like, so men haven't had that sacrifice. We didn't carry our children. We don't have that sacrifice. But two mothers devote themselves to their children. Like there is no devotion to another human being like a mother to their children. One author said it this way, a mother's love for a child is like nothing else in the world. It knows no law, no pity. It dares all things and crushes down remorselessly all that stands in its path. Anything. Why? A mother is so devoted to protect her kids and to love her kids and to care for her kids. I promise you, if you want to see a good church mama cuss and sin, just say something about her kids. Because she will take off some earrings. She will, she will get down. Why? She's so devoted to protecting her kids. Even against the enemy. That's why mom's prayer life is so strong. They're so devoted to covering their kids and protecting their kids. Like, for me, like, and I've told this toy and the kids, like, toy is first in my life. These kids are going to leave at some point. It's me, me and her. She is number one. These kids are going to have their own family, their own stuff. She's number one. She can't say the same thing to me. It's the kids. I will not put them in order, but it's the kids and then me and maybe the dog somewhere in there. Why? When you carry something so intimately and so innately for 10 months and you watch it delivered, there's a devotion that is unmatched on earth. Mothers also pay attention to their children. They're attentive, not just to their needs, but to their spiritual giftedness. Moms have this prophetic insight in their kids about their destiny, about their purpose that, that fathers don't even quite have. Moms are intuitive to the, their, it's almost like, you know, it, this drives me crazy. When, when people have babies, we'll go see the babies and we'll be like, what, you know, the baby has its dad's nose and its mom's ears. I'm like, 
No. Like that little wet thing, it don't look like anybody, like it don't even look like it's a human. But moms are attentive to every little detail about their children. And not just physically or biologically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. They recognize things even before they actually manifest or happen. Men, on the other hand, we are not known for our attention spans. I remember when the kids were young, Toya, her, her Sabbath, I guess, would be go to the grocery store. She'd go to the grocery store and just give her a break. Two, two hours, she'd go to the grocery store, get groceries, no kids. And she told me one day, I was tired, RJ was a baby. She said, hey, listen, I'm going to the grocery store, I need a break. Just watch the kids for two hours. I said, watch them, they're my kids. I got this, they're my kids. She said, no, do not fall asleep. I said, babe, I'm good. As soon as she leaves, I get RJ's little baby, I get on the couch, um, we're watching Gladiator, which is what every little kid should watch when they're trying to go to sleep. And I'm rocking him, and I don't know when it happened. But some point between when she shut the door and me hearing the car pull back up in the driveway, my eyes got really heavy, and Bobby went to sleep. Well, how did you wake up? Because I heard some tires pull into the driveway, and I immediately woke up and realized, oh, I fell asleep. RJ still, I set RJ down. I go to find the girls. They were quiet, which is never a good sign when you're a parent because either they're doing something bad or they just murdered each other. And I find them. They're in the bathroom. Alicia, Orion, and Ariana. Uh, Alicia may be four years old. The twins, two years old. They have mixed grade hair. And they've covered their hair and faces in Vaseline. And my only thought was, well, this is good while it lasted. That's, that's, I'm thinking, so you can't clean Vaseline off girls' hair in a matter of seconds. And I actually had the thought, well, if I get rid of these kids and get some lookalikes, maybe she'll never know the difference. <laughs> By that time, she's opening the door, and she just said, looks at the kids, and she says, you fell asleep, didn't you? <laughs> but it wasn't one of those things like, oh, you took a nice nap. It's like, you fell asleep, didn't you? I said, no, ma'am, I did not. She said, you fell asleep, didn't you? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. <laughs> We're just not attentive. Like, our, our default is sleep. And moms can stay awake all hours of the night. Mothers also nurture their children. Like, they nurture their children in ways men and fathers cannot. They nurture their wounds. They nurture their, their trauma. They nurture their drama at school. They're nurturing by nature, but they also train their children. Moms are the most... Involved training force in a kid's life from birth through high school. There's a point in high school where I think there's an overlap that happens between moms and dads where a, guy, a dad's voice becomes that, that instructional voice. But when kids are young, they are taking in everything their mom teaches and trains, trains them, instructs them. And so in Proverbs 1, 8, 9, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching." For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. One person I heard say, said, if at first you don't succeed, just do what your mom told you to do the first time. Like they're, they're teachers by nature. They're instructional by nature. And you spend 18 years teaching and training, not just your kids on, on manners and, and how to sit at the dinner table, but on how to pray, how to serve God how to love one another, how to show mercy to people, how to be hospitable, 
how to care for other people, how to resolve conflict and drama with each other. Moms are just teaching, teaching, teaching. And these little children are like sponges that just take it all in over and over and over again until they turn about 12 years old and then they become hard as rocks. Like one person said in the stages of motherhood, stage one, at four years old, my mommy can't do anything. Stage two, about eight years old, my mom knows a lot, a whole lot. Stage three, about 12 years old, my mother doesn't really know quite everything. Stage four, at 14 years old, mom doesn't know that either. Stage five, about 16 years old, my mother, she is absolutely clueless. Stage six at 18 years old, that woman, and you say that woman followed by a slap across the face. Stage 18 or stage seven in the 20s, well, she might know a little bit about it. Stage eight in the 30s, before we decide, let's get mom's opinion. And stage nine in the 40s, I wonder what mom thinks about it. Right, why? Because moms are life's greatest teachers. And it's difficult raising kids. We know that. That's what we laugh about. We, we know it's difficult raising children, especially in this day and age where so many other voices are trying to instruct and train our children. But I think the most difficult task of a mom is not giving birth, is not even raising your children. It's actually learning to let your children go. It is hard. It is difficult. It's so difficult because you've spent so much time building a relationship with them. You spent so much time carrying them, and now is the time to release them back to God. We have our children for, you know, 18 years. God has them for all of eternity. They came from God. They go back to God. And it's this difficult thing. And one person, I'm going to read this verbatim. It says, being a mom is a difficult task. First, you create an intimate, all-consuming attachment with your children. Then you spend the rest of your life learning to let them fly. Like as men, we don't, we don't have that issue. We didn't spend our entire young years raising a child, nursing a child, holding a child, building this attachment to a child, and then they have to release them and let them go. Actually, since our kids were born, I've had a countdown clock till they're 18 to get out of my house. Moms, it's the opposite. And so you spend all this time building this emotional attachment, and then they get to be 16, in 17, then graduation comes, college comes, you know, a little guy comes, wants to marry your daughter, or your son wants to marry this little girl, and you start seeing this attachment broken. And it feels like a broken heart. And so it's different for guys and girls. In Proverbs 22, 6, we all know the scripture, but I want to do this in the male version and female version. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right, so we've all heard the scripture, train up a child. Everybody say train. Okay. If you're a guy and you read this scripture, all you see is this is he should go. That's all I see in that scripture. When I pray the scripture of my son, it's just, guys, say it with me. He should go. I want my wife back. I want my house back. I want my kitchen back. I want my driveway back. I want my dog back. I want my money back. I want it. He should go. Now, mom reads this scripture the opposite. So train up a child in the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart. All she sees is this. He will not depart. That's all she sees. 
I see he should go. She sees he will not depart. He'll never leave me. He'll never depart. That's, that's the conflict that's there between a husband and a wife and their children. But I'm here to tell you, he has to depart. She has to depart. They have to go because God did not just give you the gift. They are God's gift to the world. And the only way they can get to the world is if you let go of them. The blessing that's inside that kid, the seeds you've sown inside the kid, it's like a dandelion. You've grown this dandelion, but you have to let go of them into the world so they can scatter and plant the seeds of the kingdom in their families. And it becomes this multi-generational multiplication blessing of the kingdom of heaven. Because we're not owners of our kids. We're stewards. We're leasors. We're renters. We have them for a short time. God has them forever. But as moms, you spend all this time building this relationship. 18 years, just given a, a round number, 18 years. And there's this releasing, right? There's this releasing. Do you realize your post child raising years are greater than your child raising years? You'll spend more years as a, a parent of an adult kid than you will of a infant, a baby, a toddler, a kindergartner, a teenager, thank God, and even a young adult kid. Like, it's your great, and, it, and, and if you mom your kids well, your children will be your greatest and best friends for the rest of your entire life. But get this, but if you try to be a friend to your kids while they're young, you'll end up having to be a mom to them for the rest of your entire life. And I think that's what Hannah understood, that these are not my kids. Samuel is not my child. I can't just try to be his best friend. My job is to get this gift that's in him out of him into the world. And she begins to train and develop him and take care of him and, and just give her, give him all of herself so he can flourish. And we live in a day and age where failure to launch, you know, used to, if you, if you didn't move out after high school, it was just like, you know, he's a little weird. Now they call it failure to launch syndrome. And if you haven't noticed this in culture, anything that's a negative quality of people, we call it a syndrome to give people a way out of responsibility for it. Failure to launch syndrome. 36% of 21 to 30-year-old young adults are still living at home with their families. In some states, as high as 46% are staying at home with mommy and daddy. And what they've understood or researched is that moms and dads have so much emotional baggage, they're using their children for emotional therapy because they need fulfillment from their kids. And so they're holding their kids so close, they don't want their kids to leave because that's gonna change my identity. You know, I've always been identified as a mom. And, you know, what am I gonna do when you leave? And then they build this thing and the kids understand it. And listen to this, kids are the most manipulative force on earth. And once they figure it out, there's a term they use called the ATM, that they begin to use their emotions to access mom and dad's monies, even when they're 27 year old grown adults. Why? It's because moms and dads would rather be friends to their kids and use them as their comfort zone instead of releasing their kids to the world. And it's failure to launch. I'm here to tell you, I understand. Our kids are at that stage where Alicia's a sophomore in college, the twins are about to graduate high school, RJ's 16. It's a scary time in life. It is difficult. 
But if we change our mindset of raising kids from these are my kids, my identity is a mom, my identity is a dad, to these are God's kids and God's blessing for the world, it will change everything. And then we can help get them out. In Deuteronomy 32, 11, and I'm about to close. It says this, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, burying them on pinions. This scripture is referring to God, obviously, but the stirring up of the eagle's nest is what, what caught my attention. If you know what that is? Eagles, when they build their nest, they build them at the highest tree possible. Or if you go to the sportsplex, they're up at the, the huge light post at the baseball complex. And they start their nest not with comfortable, soft things, but thorns, broken glass, rocks, stones. And they begin their whole nest that way. Then they'll start putting straw, hay, leaves, prey that they ate. They'll put their fur in there to soften it up. Then they have their eaglets and they begin training their eaglets on how to fly. They'll show them how to spread their wings and catch a draft. If the eaglets fall, they'll catch them and bring them back up. But when it comes time for the eaglets to go off on their own and begin to fly on their own, which is the goal of every eaglet, here's how the mother, the mother eagle prepares her children. She starts taking out whatever's soft inside that nest. She'll take out the straw, she'll take out the cotton, she'll take out the string, she'll take out the fur, she'll take out the, the hay, she'll take out the grass, so that all that's left is the thorns, the rocks, and the broken glass. She will make it as uncomfortable as possible. Why? But she knows the eagle's purpose is not in the nest. The eagle's purpose is in the sky. And as the eagle begins to soar, the mother eagle and the father eagle see all their hard work pay off. And I'm going to leave you with this quote. It says, you will teach them to fly, but they will not fly your flight. You will teach them to dream, but they will not dream your dreams. You will teach them to live, but they will not live your life. Nevertheless, in every flight, in every dream, in every life, the print of the way you taught them will always remain. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every mother in this room who spent her best years pouring herself into her children, building an intimate connection, an emotional attachment developing and training and protecting and discipling her children, praying for her children. Father, as difficult as giving birth, as difficult as raising young kids, as difficult as raising teenagers are, Father, this trust that Hannah had to say, God, you gave this child to me, I'm lending him back to you, is one of the greatest forms of worship, one of the greatest forms of trust a mother can ever display. So Father, I thank you for the sacrifice in this room. I think for all the great moms who are raising their kids in the ways of the Lord. I think for the moms in every season, the young moms who feel like they're so tired. I pray that you give them endurance for this season. Father, the young moms where their kids are in school and they're working and they're going to and fro. Father, I just pray that you give them wisdom to know how to protect their kids and be the loudest voice in their kid's life amongst all the other voices. Father, for the moms of teenagers who feel like it's so difficult, like they're not listening and everything they've said has not worked. Father, give them faith to know that every seed they planted will come to fruition. Father, for the moms who are walking in the young adult ages, years and seeing this release and this handoff back to you. Father, I pray one that you just give them a peace that surpasses understanding. I pray that you reaffirm their identity in you and in Christ alone. 
not as a mom, not as a wife, but as a daughter of the Most High God. Father, I pray that you give her confidence, that you give her prophetic vision to be able to pray as she parents her kids now. Father, for those grandmothers, I pray they have the faith of Eunice. As Timothy, even Paul told Timothy, they, their faith carries the weight of the family. Father, for those who have lost their moms, I just pray that today is a day of remembrance and celebration. For those who can't have children, Father, I pray they place their trust and their value in you and you alone. Not in a role as a mom, not in a role as a wife, but in you and in you alone. Father, above all things, I just pray that you receive your glory through the way we raise our kids, we parent our kids. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said,